Tim. Can you hear me? Just hear me okay? All right. Usually that's not a problem. Um, the worst thing about today for me is I wasn't able to sing, and that's, <laughs> I love to sing, and, and that kind of comes natural for me. This part, maybe not so much, but um, I am here to, uh, to bring a message, and I want to welcome all of you to Covenant this morning. Uh, those that are here for the first time, uh, say welcome, uh, and know that this is a, this is a friendly place and a, and a place that I think you could come to call home. Um, so I just wanted to say welcome to all of you. I want to start um, this morning by uh, just telling you that I am the chair of the Pastoral Relations Committee. That may not mean a whole lot because the Pastoral Relations Committee um, is only active when we're, we are in a pastoral search. Well, that occurred um, about nine years ago now, maybe ten, however long Pastor Nate's been here. It's been just about that long, and I was the chair at that time. And so um, when we were without a pastor for a period of time looking for a new pastor, I thought it would be a good time to talk to the congregation and the church about how we treat pastors and how we can be encouraging and build up pastors. And in fact, I kind of titled this sermon, How to, uh, how to Build a Pastor. Uh, that is the name of it. So uh, it's been about 10 years, so I thought, gee, well, maybe it's time after 10 years to have a similar discussion as that. So um, that's why I'm here, and, and it's hard for pastors to talk about these kinds of things because they are the pastors. They don't want to sound whiny. So, uh, and so I'm here uh, in their stead, I think, to talk about some of the things that we can do. I, I believe that the, uh, the uh, COVID pandemic created a break um, in relational connections in the church, right? I mean, for a while we were apart, and, and that's tough. And, but I think that it's, it was probably tougher, uh, harder on Pastor Nate and Pastor Sean maybe than any of us because who they are is, is who we are. They're, they're, their connection to us is so, so much an important part of their lives that I'm sure it was tough for them. So uh, it seems to me that maybe as we're emerging from the shadows of that separation, uh, that this is a great time, a wonderful time to reevaluate how effectively we as a congregation, we as a church are supporting um, our pastors. It's hard to be a pastor. That's not any kind of excuse, but think about what it means to accept the call um, into pastoral leadership. Most pastors are expected to complete seminary training four or five years, sometimes more, um, of, sub of education in subjects like um, theology, church administration, sermon prep, uh, Bible interpretation, and church history, to name a few. And I gave you the simple names of most of those courses, by the way. Um, the courses are high level, and they require dedication and much study to complete. Now, I know you're probably thinking that's true of most higher education, um, that they are courses that take time and dedication and, and so forth to complete. But um, at the end of all that training, um, pastors oftentimes can expect to be overworked, underpaid, and underappreciated. Now, you, say, you know why I'm the one able to say this and not the pastors when I say those things overworked, underpaid, and underappreciated. No amount of training can prepare a person for the dedication and sacrifice involved in pastoral leadership. I think to put it succinctly in these words, a pastor is never off duty. Amen. I hear some amens. Great. Praise the Lord. Um, certainly, the Bible has much to say about get this thing over my ear, about pastoral leadership and the standard to which the, they are held. Um, 
I want to uh, look at a couple of scriptures. And, and the scriptures that I'm using aren't from one particular passage, but they're, they are going to be a kind of a survey of scripture that, that talk about being a pastor and so forth. And the first one is um, from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, and simply one verse, um, verse 2. And it says, as you see, preach the word. Be prepared in and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I think yours is a slightly different um, translation there. But, but I want to, to look into that. That's a lot to live up to. That's a short verse. That's a very short verse. But think about the words that, that are in that, that short verse. Preach the word. Uh, that's just three words, right? Preach the word. Anybody can do that. But no, to preach the word, there are a lot of things that have to happen. You have to know the word to begin with. And that takes careful study and really a lifetime of study. Um, you have to know the word and you have to understand the word by that careful study. And more than that, you have to be able to interpret the word and communicate it in such a way that it is understood by everyone. That could be likely the hardest part of all of that. Um, and being prepared in season and out of season means simply that you have to be ready at all times, being ready at all times, being ready for the occurrence of an untimely loss and all the questions that go with it, being prepared for the doubts and fears of an abused or abandoned spouse, being ready to deal with any adversity that the church or its people face. It's not easy to do that. Pastors are then called after that to correct, um, rebuke, and encourage, and not only to be able to correct, rebuke, and encourage, but to know when to do one or the other, or maybe even all three of those things at once. And do it all with patience and careful instruction. Funny that little scripture has so much in it. And then another scripture that um, we look at related to um, pastoral duties is uh, Acts 20, Acts 20, verse 28. And it says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, I'll pause for a second. So that word overseers, we're going to see a few more times. But overseer is, is really another word for shepherd or elder, or in our case, as we're talking about a person um, as a pastor. So it says, again, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you pastors. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. <clears throat> Despite the difficulty, of being, the, the difficulty uh, of being a pastor, many have answered that call. In fact, there are um, maybe others in here this morning that have, uh, that have answered uh, that call. Jesus instituted the church to be his body and to serve God's purpose, and he called pastors, and, and the Spirit called pastors to lead that work. As difficult as that can be at times, I'm sure that Nate and Sean don't regret their decision to heed the call to ministry. Scripture clearly states that Christian leaders are held to a higher standard. Now, I had to take pause with that one, and when I, when I started thinking about that idea that, that Christian leaders are, are held to a higher standard. And there's a lot of scripture that says that. And, and so I'm going to address the scripture, and then I'm going to talk about that whole concept of the pastor, of the leader uh, being held to this, this higher standard. Uh, beginning with James 3, chapter 1, 
Um, and it says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now that's not exactly a very good recruiting slogan uh, for, for people looking to go into the pastorate, is it? You know that we will be judged more strictly. Now, it gets even more, um, more into that when we, when we go and look at, at 1 Timothy. I think that's the one I have up there, right? 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. And listen through this one. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or pastor desires a noble task. Now, the pastor is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he, how can he take care of, the, of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, before I go on, I want to go back and, and understand that this translation, he is repeated again and again in him, but we understand that that is not just he, that in, in my understanding, that there can be she's in there as well, right? So let's not get caught up in that but understand that, that women are serving God just as much as men are in leadership roles, um, and we believe that that is the way God has intended it to be. Um, those are they're kind of difficult words to live up to, but what we have to be careful of when we read those words is, is we say, well, okay, pastors are called to a higher standard. It's very clear in the Scripture, right? It says right there, pastors are called, leaders are called to a higher standard. But what does that mean for us? those of us that maybe are not in leadership roles, what does it mean? Does it mean that we as the church are the ones that are to hold the pastor to that higher standard? Is that our job? Is that who we're to be? Because I want to challenge you to say that it is not our role, it is not our responsibility to hold the pastor to that higher standard. That is up to God. That is God's to judge and God's to determine. And I think every pastor that I've ever known feels convicted by that truth, that they are held by God to a higher standard, that, that if they fail, if they, they can be dragging others with them, that's a, that's a difficult thing to, to try to live up to. The other thing I want to say about that when it comes to us looking at ourselves as, oh, we're the ones that should be responsible for making those determinations and those judgments, uh, that almost leads us to think that, well, we can read that, that uh, First Timothy scripture in a different way, and we can say, uh, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever does not aspire to be a leader uh, doesn't really have a noble task. They're, they're, they don't have to be above reproach. They can be unfaithful to their wives. They can be ill-tempered. They can, they can be uncontrolled and, and irrespectable and inhospitable and unable to teach and given to drunkenness and, and, and be, be violent, not gentle, be quarrelsome, not, um, not kind. But, but and be a lover of money, and I can go on. But my point is to say that just because pastors are held to a higher standard doesn't mean that we're not held to a standard as well. We're all held to a standard. And so before any of us look and say that it's ours to be judged, what we, to be the judges, we need to say, no, that's not what it is. That, that pastors have enough 
to know that they are under God's call to be held to a higher standard, that we don't really need to be the ones pointing that out to them. Um, while it's, um, it's a danger to, to begin to think that we're the judges, it's also dangerous when the church takes the, the approach that, well, the pastor is held, is held to a higher standard, therefore they're at a higher level. Therefore, to be a pastor means that we're at a higher level somehow of, 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 of our connection to God. We're at a higher level than, than a normal person, right? A normal person would be. Uh, but the, the danger there is that we would put that pastor, then that person, on some sort of pedestal. And you've heard that term before, to put them on a pedestal. And when we do that, we, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. Because just as you know, and I'm going to say the obvious, I'm the stater of the obvious this morning, that, that it is true that pastors are people too, that they have failings, that they're going to fail, they're going to make mistakes, and not just mistakes of administration and, and, and you know, those kinds of mistakes. They're going to make big mistakes at times. They're going to disappoint people. They're going to hurt people because they are just like we. They are fallen, sinful people. It's going to happen. But they can also be forgiven just like every one of us can be forgiven and expect that God will forgive us when we're faithful and just and, and we admit to our sins and we confess to our sins and ask for um, his forgiveness. The other thing that uh, can happen when we, when we take that approach that pastors are at some higher level and think about it that way is that, that and, and I don't think it's happening here, but in some churches it, it's that the pastor somehow becomes the one that the church is following. Well, yeah, we need to listen to our pastor, and we need to submit to the authority of our pastors, but we are not, in fact, following our pastor, right? I mean, I think we understand that and know that. It is Jesus Christ, it is God that we are following, and our pastor is God's shepherd in these particular kinds of things. So don't allow yourself or allow ourselves, and, or even the church around you and others, to fall into the trap of believing that it's the pastor um, that we're following. There's one, uh, one last verse about pastors that I want to read, um, and it really more pertains to us than it does to pastors, and that's from um, Hebrews uh, chapter 13, and that's uh, verse 17. It goes like this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no benefit of no benefit to you. Gee, that's interesting. It says, do this, submit to their authority, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. And I believe that it's so clear that, that we're called as a church to, to help our pastor to see their job, their responsibility, their calling, not as a burden, but as a joy. How many of us really think that way when we think about our pastors? It's, it's really our responsibility. So what I want to do is get into some practical application, ways that we, can, that we can look at how we might be supportive of our pastors so that we can, in fact, make their calling a joy for them. Because if it's not a joy for them, trust me, it will not be a joy for you. <clears throat> So this is what I'm going to do, is just, just kind of go through a list of some things that I've learned from experience. I served as a pastor for about 
six years in a couple small churches, Preston County and Mon County is a two-point charge. And, and so most of these things uh, I, I do know from experience, and uh, so, so know that um, I'm not just sort of making them up as I go, but I've seen them happen. So what I'm going to start with, with this list are things that may not apply to all of you. Okay, I, let me stop for a second. So they may not apply to you. They may not apply to any of you. You may be really good at how you support your pastor. And so I'm not trying to tell you that you're not in any way, shape, or form. But I think that it's good to hear and to evaluate what we can do and understand what we can do to make our pastor's job or their calling a joy. So here's what I'm starting with. Don't be quick to judge, but rather take the plank out of your own eye before you attempt to remove the speck of sawdust from your pastor's eye. You know, I, the, when I think about that, that scripture, and, I, and you've heard it many times before, and I think about it as well, you know, uh, I think by the time I get around to being able to pull the plank from my eye, that I won't even see the speck, the, the speck in the past, or anybody's eye for that matter anymore. I think it really is saying to us, there's really not a whole lot of place for criticism. If you're being critical, use it very, very sparingly, and be sure that you can be in a place that you can criticize before you even think about it. In fact, honestly, the scripture leaves most of us no room to ever criticize anybody for anything. I believe that we uh, oftentimes place uh, pastoral leadership and other leaders under, under a microscope, and we, we, uh, we notice every little thing, every, every flaw that they might have, and, uh, and, and that's, you know, I don't think we do that to anyone else, because if we treated our friends the way that we sometimes, and not always, but the way that we sometimes treat our pastors, we probably wouldn't have very many friends left. So to end that, I want to say to you, be generous and gracious. Be generous and gracious, just as God is generous and gracious to you. Don't try to get the pastor to do things your way, necessarily, but be willing to consider a different way of doing things. In other words, don't be an old dog. Learn new tricks. Now, I personally like to mow my yard in a particular way, right? So I think of my yard as a, you know, think of it as a perimeter. It's not a square, but you know, somewhat like that. And I like to just mow around the perimeter. I don't go back and forth. I mow around the perimeter. Well, I like it that way because every time I complete a pass around the perimeter, the next square is a little bit smaller. So it's like, oh man, I, I can just feel the success, right? I feel things happening. So some people like to mow their yard. Um, back and forth. I think that's the way Josiah mowed, his yard, mowed our yard when he mowed it, uh, and then the next time he tried to mow it, there were bees, and well, that was the end of that. Anyway, sorry to digress. <laughs> so he's not mowing our yard. But anyway, some people like to go back and forth. My point is, I don't know why they do that. There probably is a reason, and Josiah could probably tell me what it is. But the point is that the grass gets cut, right? The grass is mowed. It, it seems to me that um, sometimes we spend so much time worrying about how to do God's work and planning to do God's work that we never actually get around to doing it. <laughs> I bet Darren likes that one. <laughs> Don't hold grudges, but rather be quick to forgive the pastor and one another. Grudges are like rattlesnakes. You can't carry them around for long without getting bitten. I recall an incident um, from my six years as a a local pastor in two small churches, and 
there were two men in, in the church that I was in, and they were, there was a hostility between them, and I didn't know why. I didn't really know any of these folks, to, you know, when I started in the church. Um, and so it's like, man, I don't, what's going on here? So I asked around, obviously, to see what I could find out. And it turns out that, um, that many years before, the, the two men had gotten into a, 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 a scrap, I guess, uh, because, or scrape, sorry, the word, in, into a scrape, right? Because one man owned property across the road from the church, right? And so here's the church, and here's the road, and here's the other property. Well, the man on the other side of the road claimed that he owned a very small bit of land, very small wedge of property on the same side as the church. Well, uh, one of the people in the church was out mowing, one of the men in the church was mowing, and the man across the street took exception because he was mowing on his part. I don't know why. I mean, you know, why not? Let him mow your yard. But anyway, so he came over to tell him that that was his property and not to mow on it. And so as the story goes, the one mowing, uh, he was pushing a hand mower, tried to run over the guy that, that, that's the story with the mower. And then there was a punch thrown. Well, so that's what I heard about the story. So I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what I should do about this. Well, I was a little bit naive as a pastor at that time. And so I thought, well, I think I'm going to figure this one out. So what I did, believe it or not, is I invited them to come to meet me at the church. And I didn't tell one or the other that the other would be there. So we met. Now, yeah, you can imagine what could have happened as a result of my uh, foolishness, but that's what I did. Uh, and it was a little bit sticky for a while, and I didn't have to call the police or anything like that. Uh, but eventually, actually, they, uh, they did call a bit of a truce. I can't say that they were best friends after that, but they called a bit of a truce, and they shook hands. Um, you know, I, I tell you that story, and, and uh, I know there's some humor involved in that, but I tell you that story to, to tell you that um, one of the most draining things for pastors is conflict resolution. Conflict and conflict conflict resolution. Anybody disagree with that? Conflict, I mean, I know personally, it's just, that's so difficult when there's conflict in the church and to try to resolve it and get through it. It's, it's really, it really saps you. Um, so what I want to say to you, <laughs> this might step on a toe or two, but what I want to say to you is simply this, uh, grow up. <laughs> resolve your conflicts it's not about you. Instead of wanting to be right, try being righteous. And not self-righteous, by the way, righteous. Forgive generously and often. All right, don't treat your pastor like your personal trainer, but allow space and time for them to rest and play. Give them time to be with their family and their friends. A rested pastor is a far more effective pastor. And playing on, using the, playing on the words of John F. Kennedy Jr., ask not what your pastor can do for you, but ask <laughs> what you can do for your pastor. Uh, consider being hospitable. Invite your pastor to lunch and pay for it. Invite their family for dinner or take dinner to them just because you can. Tell them every chance you get how much you appreciate and support them, and that's a big one. Tell them every chance you get how much you appreciate and support them. Don't be a complainer, but rather be a prayer warrior. Pray for your pastor and their family every day and let them know that you are praying for them. And when the church, listen, I want you to, 
I thought this was cute of me. And when the church is called to come together in prayer, don't pick that time to pray in secret. When the church is called to come together in prayer, don't pick that time to pray in secret. Come and pray with one another. Don't gossip about the pastor, but rather lovingly approach the pastors, but rather lovingly approach them with legitimate concerns that you may have. In the church I served, we participated in uh, monthly sings. We had like tri-district sings, and some of you may be familiar with those things, but basically just different churches that, that came together, and, and uh, different people would sing in groups and so forth, and, and, uh, and, and it was a really good time. And, and for one of the sings, there was a, a, a family in the church, and their son uh, he was probably in his 30s at that point. But anyway, he wasn't really involved in the church. He was a good musician. I knew that. But he wasn't in the church and uh, kind of not really living by the standards of the church either. And so he was going to come and be at one of the sings. And I was kind of happy for that, you know, and looking forward to that opportunity. But when I was introducing him, um, I said that uh, this, he may be a little different. Yeah, well... You know, for all you moms out there, I was talking about her son, right? This woman's son, that he was a little different. Well, uh, I, I didn't realize it at the time because honestly, I said that partly because he had long hair. But I, when I was in high school, right here, right? So he, she didn't know that. But I mean, it, it was like, yeah, I knew what it felt like sometimes to look a little different than other people. But neither here nor there. Six months later, I found out that she was still mad at me about that. Now, I didn't know it at the time at all. And it took six months for me to hear about it. And I'm sure by the time it got to me that everybody else knew about it. Now, I'm not really blaming her because I was the one that, you know, that was pretty stupid, right? I mean, that wasn't a very good way to do that. Uh, but the thing was that, that we ended up losing basically six months, right, before we were able to reconcile. So I just want to say if something happened, if your pastor has hurt you, they want to know about it. Right, Amy? Right? Eileen, <laughs> right, Pastor Dave? All of us want to know. If we've heard someone, it, we need to know. We want to know about it. And if you do that, you can, you can come to that time of reconciliation so much faster. It saves so much time and so much energy. Um, so here's the thing I want to say, that if you do have something that you need to talk to your pastor about, if you don't have the guts to say it directly to him, I think you know where this is going. If you don't have the guts to say it directly to them, don't say it. Now, I've been just as guilty as any of you about doing those kinds of things, but come on. If we can't say it to the person, we don't need to say it at all. Now, I'm not saying you can't blow off some steam you know, around a close friend or something, but don't make it gossip. Don't be talking about someone unless you have the guts to go talk about it um, to them as well. And you know what? In the church, we, we have ways to deal with such things. If you do have a problem and you go to the pastor and you're still not happy with where things went, then we have a board of stewards, right? And, and so we go to the board of stewards and say, hey, want to come with me? We'll talk to the board of stewards. But then at some point, the decision's going to be made. And when that decision's made, that's when we as members of the church are, are expected, biblically, right, to submit ourselves to authority. Now, I understand, I will say one last thing, that there are times when things have gotten to the point where if you feel like that the word of God is being violated, you still have to stand by that. But for the most part, I think we're going to be able to come to reconciliation 
rather than to that point. So here's what I want to say um, about who we are as a church. And, and this is just another analogy, but I believe that as church members, when we, when we are in the church, we're given two buckets. Some of you may have heard this before, but you're given two buckets. One is filled with gasoline and one is filled with water. And the trick is to know when to throw which. Now, if you want that explained to you, if something's going on that needs to continue to go on and we love it and it's a wonderful thing in the church, throw some gasoline. But if something's happening that shouldn't happen, including gossip, it's time that we throw on that bucket of water. Okay, I'm going to go on. Don't expect the pastor to know when you have a need for their assistance, but rather inform them of your need. It's much easier to read a text than to read a mind. I know that it's, it's funny, but it's so often I've had it, I've seen it, and that people end up being upset at a pastor because they didn't know about something that happened to them, didn't know about a, a death in the family, or didn't know about a sickness, or those kinds of things. You know, we can't, people can't know anything unless they're told. And, and think of it this way, too. If you're aware of something that's happened, then you can tell the pastor. You can be the person to reach out and say, did you know so-and-so, you know, lost a brother or a son. So, so just don't expect them to read minds. Uh, in the same way, don't use the pastor's spouse or family members as messengers. You know, that's really not their job. And if you want to be sure that the pastor hears it, you probably should tell them yourself. You probably should put it in a, oh gosh, what? Text, email, phone call, note, talk to them directly. There's lots of ways that we can do that in these days, but, but don't expect those messages to be passed on by others that, um, that are in their family. We're called to be good stewards, but don't focus too much on attendance, finances, and the church building. They're all important. I know they are. We all know that they are. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's a good one, I think. Be responsive during sermons. Uh, remember that the pastor spent a large portion of the week preparing a message that they believe God has given to you for given to them for you. Now, every sermon is not meant for every person, but every sermon is meant for someone. And we need to know that. But but it's let me tell you, as a as standing up here even now, that any any response that you give is wonderful for me because I know you're listening. I know you're hearing. The same for the worship team. When you respond, it makes it so different when you're delivering the message. But for the pastor, it is so critical to respond. And, and I'm really bad about it. I'm, I'm kind of this, I sit and I just sort of take stuff in. I mean, just the kind of person I am, you know, and my, my normal face is a frown. And it's not because I want to frown, just the way my normal face is, you know. Some, they say it takes a lot more a lot more, some of you are laughing, it's true. It takes a lot more muscles to, to frown than it does. Not for me, it takes more muscles to smile than it does to frown. But anyway, my point is, I'm bad about that. So, so respond. When something is in the message that really, really hits you, let the pastor know. And, and you can just smile, but you can say what? You can say amen, and you can say hallelujah. Um. A pastor's spouse, okay, spouses of pastors, they may or may not serve a major role in the life of the church. I think sometimes churches can have just expectations of spouses as though they have, you know, we hired the pastor, but the spouse 
should probably, well, I don't know what scripture says about that. I'm not sure there's anything about it. But let me tell you, they may or may not play a major role. Now, we're very fortunate. I'm looking right at Amy, and we're very fortunate in this church that we have uh, Leah and Amy and, and the things that they do. They are, they are tremendously gifted, and they give of their gifts. And we're really fortunate of that. But as a church, we shouldn't place expectations on spouses. Let them be who they are in the church. And just a couple more things. It's really hard to be a pastor's kid. Now, I wish my wife were here talking about that because you all, most of you know that she's a kid lover. She just absolutely loves kids, right? Um, and she could tell you this. But, but they need encouragement. They need us to build them up. Can you really, how, how many of you, any, any pastor's kids out there? Yeah, yeah, see? And we're very fortunate to have the kind of pastor's kids we have too, <laughs> Brianna and Bethany and, and all of Nate's kids because they're wonderful. But it's not easy. It's not easy to think that the whole church is kind of looking at you at times, right? Thinking, oh, you got to be perfect. You gotta, you know, you got to behave perfectly. They're just kids. They're kids just like all of us are kids. So just treat them that way. But, but build them up, support them, give them your love and care. Just two more things. As we discussed, the pastor needs a pulpit, not pedestal. And one thing to think about. If you believe the church should be involved in a particular ministry, guess what? Volunteer to lead that ministry. Last but not least, be a cheerful giver. Now, in the last um, sermon with just mentioning 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but I want to end this with, uh, and then a few more words, but I want to kind of end this with this scripture and say that, read this scripture once a week and apply it to your relationship with your pastor and then everyone else. But we're going to read that. I want to see if we can bring that up. We'll just read that uh, scripture together. Um, and I'm going to have to, hopefully I can see it all from here because I didn't have it on my, uh, don't have it on my sheet. No, let's go. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could not, or I could boast about it. But I didn't, <laughs> I would not have gained, oh, go ahead, you all read it because I can't see it.
and the greatest of these is love. What a challenge. It's always a challenge to read that, but, but really, read that and continue to apply it. Um, some of you have, uh, this is to, to just finalize, some of you have heard me use the analogy of, of wave action on the beach, and uh, Vicki and I are both very fair-skinned, and so when we go to the beach, we don't spend a whole lot of time out in the sun, otherwise, you know, we, we, don't, we only have two colors, white and red, so there's no brown um, with us. So uh, most of the time that we spend on the beach, we spend just sort of uh, waiting. We usually have our, all our clothes on, waiting, you know, uh, at the edge of the beach, right? Uh, and so it, it seems that in some of those walks over the years that, that I always find myself uh, reflecting. Any of you that are beach lovers, you understand. You just, it just calls you to reflect on life. I don't know why, but it does. Uh, just thinking of the eternity. But, but anyway, I noticed something about waves as they're coming, particularly, well, generally up onto a sandy beach, right? And so waves come up, and, and they reach, of course, there's the, the, the tide coming in and the tide going out, but as those waves come in, uh, different waves de reach different places on the beach, right? Well, some of the waves, they come in, and as they're coming in, other, the water is receding back into the ocean, right? So when those waves are coming in, they they hit the resistance of the other way, or the water as it's washing back in, as it's returning to the sea. And there's a churning of sand, and it's just a lot of turmoil going on, right, in that action. But then some of the, some of the, uh, the waves, the ones that get the highest up on the beach, they get there because they're riding the crest of the wave before them. So you, I'm sure any of you that have ever watched wave action, you know what I'm talking about. And some of them slide up to the very highest point on the beach. Um, I think that I, I'm telling you this because I believe that, that we can choose which kind of uh, wave that we want to be. We can choose to be that back wave that's causing turmoil and, and uh, difficulty as the waves are trying to come up. Or we can be that crest wave, that crest wave that lifts others. So I'm calling on you to be the crest wave so that, so that we can lift our pastor and our church to higher ground. Now, we sang Higher Ground in early service. I don't want to sing the whole thing. Is that still up there? So just put that up. I just want to look at this. Actually, the second, go to the second verse. And yes, I just want, to, I want us to, to just read. Or I'll, I'll just read it. I, can't, I wish I could sing it, uh, but I'm afraid I can't right now. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. We have the chorus. By faith on heaven's tableland, a higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, we do ask that you help us to see that we're called to, to, uh, to not just be hearers, but doers of the word when it comes to to. Uh, to to being supporters of our pastors, to supporters of one another. So just uh, help us to be who you've called us to be, um, and we pray that um, we would have the strength. So the, as the uh, worship team comes, we'll close in song. <laughs>